So today's lesson text continues after Elijah's duel of the prophets in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was sore afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Elijah left his servant there. But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked the Lord that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on some hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay back down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And at that place he came to a cave, and Elijah spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Heziel as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu son of Nema as king over Israel. And you shall know Elisha, son of Shepet, of Abelam Manola, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall kill, and whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, 
all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So the Lord sent him from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shephet, who was plowing. There were twelve yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over Elisha. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So often great travails follow grand triumphs. It seems the higher Icarus flies, the farther he falls. And we in our story today come upon Elijah at such a time. He had just contended and beat all the beastly idols of this world. And in a manner that most of us pastors, apologetics, folks, Christians could only dream of. Sitting at the mountaintop before all the people, Elijah had won a duel of the gods. It was a serious contest. To prove to Israel that Jehovah was not to be worshipped, Jezebel had slain all the prophets of the Lord. Ahab, her husband, had erected altars throughout the entire land. And it seemed in those days the godly could only marvel as their culture, their long-standing virtues, and their highest ideals were wiped away from power on high. In fact, all those things alike were criminalized and suppressed with violence. Even Elijah himself had fled. He dwelt with the widow. And even the rain in the sky had fled, refusing to cross over Israel's boundaries for three years. That was until the climactic duel on top of the mountain. Elijah showed up. Let us solve this by calling fire down from heaven. Because Elijah knew that not only Baal, but all the powers of this earth, they are just the vain, glorious imaginings of men about God separated from his word and his truth. They are but wind and shadow. But Elijah knew he had to fight them because recall their evils. Famine, violence, the sword, lost souls. So with righteous disdain, as the duel was going on, Elijah even mocked. Call him louder, for he is a god. Perhaps he is a hunting, maybe he's sleeping, or peradventure relieving himself. And Baal's prophets, oh, they cried out slashing themselves with knives and lancets, screaming to their God, see how this scorner derides us. 450 prophets marching about Elijah in a ghastly spectacle, the soldiers ready to quench their swords with Elijah's blood, the second ball answers. Elijah still stood brave. Call ball and prophesy, you heathens, not a voice will answer you. None will listen. 
And when the hour of sacrifice came and it was Elijah's turn, he drowned the altar of Jehovah in water, not just once, not just twice, but three times. And with a simple prayer, God, be glorified and let them know you have called me to do this. Fire fell from heaven, licking up not just the sacrifice, but the very rocks and dirt and altar in a single moment. It was so all had to confess. Everyone there saw it. All the atheism and heathenism of Israel's people was in that moment silence. There was no debate. The idolaters were set to shame. That I am is eternal God was completely visible to everyone. And that solved all life's problems, right? So we'd like to think. But Satan has never fought anything but losing battles to begin with, and he's pretty good on the rear action. He can test this victory of Elijah's very fiercely, because we see Jezebel at the start of our second reading today. She didn't repent of her evils when she heard what Elijah did. She'd sent him a messenger saying, I'm going to kill you just like you killed them. And for all his bravido, his machismo earlier, Elijah was shot from that big contest. His spirit was done. He had nothing left to give. The tank was empty. So Elijah fled in abject terror. No fight left in him. And we find him in the wilderness collapsing in despair. That's a terrifying thing to think. That such a mighty saint of God, able to pray to start and stop the rain, blessed with miraculous food, raising the widow's son from the dead, able to call down fire from heaven when he needs it, that he was by his own countrymen, those who should have been loyal to the same ancestral faith, those who had all by their ancestors crossed with Moses through the Red Sea. They had practiced so much evil in the land that God had given them that the mighty prophet Elijah himself could only ask God to let him die. So today on Sunday, when we recall the Reformation, you'll probably see some articles in the newspaper on like page 16. We think of a time the church and the people of God tossed off the yoke of some of their own balls. The medieval church had constructed particularly an idol of good works. They neglected the gospel of the completed work of salvation in Christ. And as they worshipped all the good works that they found themselves doing, religion had grown corrupt. It was used to control ignorant masses and to enrich worldly powers. And just like Jezebel in her day, we find the church was far too eager on both sides of the Reformation to avail itself to violence. That hope of free salvation as an act of God, that was traded for a hope of earning it by our own merit, by buying some indulgences, by receiving merits from the saints. But see, just like those opponents of Baal, the people found this new God quiet. He never seemed to say anything. They found themselves in deep despair. To get him to talk, they 
They starve themselves, they whip themselves, they even cut themselves with knives and lancets after their manner. Yet the truth that the Reformation reclaimed, the truth that we are always in danger of losing, that we must stand for, is that God has spoken and still speaks. Recorded in Scripture, his words of salvation by grace, received through faith by only Christ, and to show the glory of God in granting undeserved mercy, that's our Elijah on the mountain moment. It's hard not to see the same sort of thing in the life of Luther, the famous one. He wasn't the first reformer. There were many who didn't make it before him, and there were many who would come after him. But there's an image of Luther standing in front of the Diet of Worms, of a monk in rags, in front of all the emperors and military powers. And when they asked him, will you recant of this teaching that we should be free to read the Bible? Will you recant of this teaching that we are saved only through Christ alone? Luther's stand was nothing other than God has spoken. That is Elijah's stand. That must be our stand today. Our stand must be that God is present in Christ within us, not without on the altar. That salvation is an unearned gift, and we bear fruit in response not to get it. That each man, woman, and child relates directly to God by conscious and the imprint of the sacred divine character of God himself that no church, no power, or devil is ever able to sever us from that connection. This is nothing other than to just take at face value the words of Jesus Christ himself to the thief that died next to him, that this day, not after spending all your time in purgatory, bro, but this day you will be with me in paradise. This is a stance of the church that all who call on Christ that moment are saved. Luther's stance must be ours. We must affirm those things and we can do no other and we can stand on no other that was, is, and will be confirmed in the hearts of all the saints who take it to themselves to read the liberated and translated scripture. So each of us so declaring, we stand above all worldly powers, kings, hirelings, and they that are shown to be mist and shadows before the mighty fire of the Holy Spirit we stand in a duel of gods with the world when we stand upon scripture. But don't kid yourselves. Just like Elijah's tale, Jezebel doesn't simply quit. We stand in a great nation, powerful now, but it was where our ancestors once fled. And I shall not drudge up all the conflagrations and fights and messes and terrible things that have happened in the past. The trials of today are many and of their own enough for us to worry about. Because even in our day, the faith once revealed is met with open hostility. I find it absolutely frustrating, but many have a unnatural disdain for scripture. I've seen ideas rejected just for being scripture, and that is in Christian company. With gold chains, the church has found that she is rebinding herself 
to the spirits of still being a good person so I get in. We find ourselves bound to political princes, I don't care left or right. And we find ourselves many times bound to our own ideals. Well, the Bible tells me this I know, but I really feel that it is so. And looking out at this, we must be sensitive that there are a great many people who despair as Elijah did in that day. They have that same confession. We are no better than our fathers. There is no one left who believes. Have you ever been there? I have. It seems these days of late, they almost drive the Christian worker into this confession. Because there are no less idols in some congregations and in some people's hearts than there were in 1519, than there were in BC 1000 or whatever it was when Elijah was running around. In fact, the way many of us ourselves, that we are not better than our ancestors, the way we live out our own confessions, all that Puritan anti-papist pronunciation stuff seems to be the pot calling the kettle black. We look a lot like our ancestors. But my word today for all those who must carry on the work of reformation and proclamation is the continuing of Elijah's story from that point. Yeah, the good man gets knocked down. Yes, the good man despaired of life and he despaired of the power of religion. But God was about him still moving. It is in this scene of Elijah in the wilderness, in complete despair, that he is ministered to by the angels. Where he is depressed, that's when they wake him up and say, take some food, get some rest. It is when Elijah takes off and goes fasting for 40 days up to Mount Horeb. It is there when he's hidden himself into the cave saying, just let no one ever find me ever again. It is there that God calls out to Elijah in one of the most beautiful revelations that exist in the Old Testament. Now we know at Transfiguration Sunday that Moses and Elijah in their mountain scenes are meeting with the very Christ, the very word of God themselves in his moment of transfiguration. But the description we have in 1 Kings shows that Elijah, a lot like Peter at the Transfiguration Mount, finds the event overwhelming. The mountain quaked. The sky flashed lightning and thundered whirlwinds. All about the wanderer danced the terrible machinations of nature. But God did not reveal himself in those things. Just a still, small voice. Christian, you may be discouraged at the way things are going. You may not like the direction of the world, but I can tell you that God desires even in those moments when we're like, what, what is there of the church? Where is this thing going? It is in those moments that God still wishes to speak to us through a still, small voice. In your hearts, yes, he longs to speak, but also in front of each and every one of you in the pew. 
We've seen fire. We've seen rain. The earth's fallen apart and it's come together again since 1500. Yet that small voice still remains. That small voice is still available to anyone who opens up and as Augustine heard, take and read. It's a word of grace that has outlasted Caesar. It has outlasted popes. It has outlasted trials. It has outlasted Nazis. And it has outlasted the grave in the person of Jesus Christ who defeated death at Easter. Surely that still small voice is fit for today. Now we may long for the day when we call fire down. It's always fun to think of the mighty acts of power. We despair when we stand alone and the cause seems lost. But it is in those moments, especially, that we are ministered to by the angels. It's when the hurricane tornado rips the mountain in twain. That is when God speaks to his saints. Is there is hope even here, even in Elijah's day when he's feeling the blues, that hope is still found. You see, God gently rebukes Elijah in love. It's as if God was saying to Elijah, you think you're alone, kid? May he so rebuke the spirit that has crept into the church of the same type. I'm tired of articles, we are declining, religion is losing, or we can't rest on scripture anymore, or the faith received in the church. My friends, the divisions in Christendom, they come from that thought that we are alone. The fights over music, dress, service types, and a million other external things come from this fact that God seems to have left us alone. And if we don't do something, the lights are going to go out. My friends, God is always saying to his church, you think you're alone. There are churches up and down the streets doing all sorts of things differently. We should be learning from each other, cooperating. Because the truth is, as the Lord told Elijah, I have 7,000 who have never bowed to Baal, have never kissed him, and never will. So you have met a Christian who is backslidden. You may not like what this particular preacher is saying. Well, here, O oh church, I have 7,000 churches that have never bowed down to the ways of the world and have never kissed its golden signet finger. What great comfort that by the power of that still, small voice, the Lord was working. Elijah never went and preached to them. Someone else was talking. The Lord was working even in an apostate nation. This is one of those things where we have God. Yes, yes, we have God. But our humanity is greatly comforted when we don't stand alone. Elijah knew the Lord intimately, but his heart was broken because it was his friends, it was his family, it was his countrymen who wouldn't stand with him. And 
So it is for you, for all the saints who may lament the status of the church when we think about 502 years of Reformation, 2,000 years of keeping this thing going, you are not alone. If we balk at the sheer size of the task, know there are a lot of laborers beside ourselves engaged in it. You see, Luther... Zwingli, any of the reformers, they could have never kicked off any of this stuff if there were not already hearts given to the task. There were hearts that had not bowed to the idols of my own works, my own good. And when scripture came, they could say, Amen. A church is never full because the pastor is biblical. A church is full because it is a group of saints that have agreed that the Spirit has shown himself through that ancient community, and he has shown himself in the same way to the community today because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So like Luther, in our town, in our community, and in our country, we must strive in a blessed contest. But we have many graces that keep us from despair. Oh, how easy it is to play the blues to lament when scripture is set aside, when truth is compromised, when the pews aren't full. But we must remember and take heart that for all the earthquakes and all the fires and all the winds, there are more than 7,000, a lot more than 7,000 in these United States of America that have not and never will bow to Baal. The kingdoms will rise and fall. The mountains will be cast into the sea. But as Christ has promised us, the gates of very hell shall not prevail against the church. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word has shown us times where even great and mighty saints like Elijah can get depressed. Free us from the need to always feel happy, always be positive. But give us the ability to join the ancient saints in expressing what we truly feel. Even if we feel anger at you, you are a father who longs to hear it. Even if we feel hurt by you, you are a father who longs to hear it. Lord, we dwell in fire and earthquakes and rain. And we fear that silence of the night. We live in a culture full of noises and whispers. And we are scared to turn it off and scared to be alone. Lord, embolden your saints to enter into that prayer closet so you, so you may reveal to them that they do not stand alone, that you have risen up for yourselves a new and royal priesthood that shall not perish and shall preach and bring your kingdom till you come again. Amen.